What a wonderful blessing we have to, to be able to come together this morning, sing songs of praise, to spend that sweet hour of, of prayer together, and to remember Christ, to survey that wondrous cross. It's an awesome thought to think that some 10,000 years ago, you know, God had a plan for us here in 2018, a plan that would forgive us for our sins, give us hope of eternal life, so we consider the hope that we have in Jesus that we prayed about this morning. What a wonderful blessing that it is that we can come together. Appreciate very much the prayer on my behalf. You know, because of Christ, what He did, the example He set for us, the suffering that He went through for us, it should be a driving force for us. It should be a driving force that teaches us how to live, that spurs us the actions that we take, the words that we say, the thoughts that we have, the way that we live our lives. Sadly, there's so many in the world that don't have that. And there's a different way of living. Don't know if you spent any time watching the news here lately. If you have... We've seen a lot of bitterness. We see a lot of bitterness in, in politics. Where people, but, but for no other reason than the, than the party that they align themselves to, just have this complete bitterness for the people in the other party. Unwilling to work together. To even be courtesy, to have, have, be courteous to the other. And we see so much of that in the world, and it's a, it's a sad, sad thing. We see this bitter fighting. It's the result of bitterness. We'd like to talk about the root of bitterness this morning. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, beginning in verse 14, <clears throat> it says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. The Scripture tells us to follow peace. It means to earnestly endeavor to acquire it. It means to eagerly pursue. It's something that we have to want. It's something that we have to work for if we're going to have peace. If we're going to have peace in our lives with other people, it's not something that just comes naturally. We want to see the Lord. I believe that's why uh, most people, not everybody, is here this morning. We want to see the Lord, and we have hope in that. If we want to do that, we need to follow peace. We need to look diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. We can fail of the grace of God. You know, the grace of God will never fail us. But we can fail it. And our failure to be obedient, and our failure to accept that plan that God has given us, we can fail of that grace. And that root of bitterness can spring up and can ruin us. It can prevent us from following after peace with everybody. It takes work. In Romans the 12th chapter verse 18 says, If it be possible as much as lieth in you, 
as much as life in you. Sometimes we have to dig deep to be at peace with other people. To be courteous to other people. To not have ill feelings toward other people. And to live peaceably with all men. It takes work. It's something we have to pursue. Romans 14 verse 19 says, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and the things where one wherewith one may edify another. You know, as Christians, we need to live our lives in such a way that we're attempting to edify everybody that we're around. Our thoughts can't be about self and what I can do about self and lift me up and what's good for me. Our whole thought process, the the reason we do what we do, say what we say, think what we think, it's because we want to edify other people. We want to build other people up. And to do that, we have to, have to follow the things which make for peace. Well, we think about the, the nature of bitterness. It's described as a root, a root of bitterness that causes us trouble, that prevents peace with all. It's described as something that will defile us. Defile us means to pollute to contaminate with sin. And that's what bitterness will do. When we think about a root, think about a seed that's planted, seed that's underground. It germinates. That sprout comes forth. And you know, the first thing that, that that sprout does is there's some type of root structure there that starts absorbing water, starts absorbing nutrients so that that plant can grow. That root starts growing down towards the ground, seeking more water and more nutrients. As the stem structure starts moving upward, comes up out of the ground. If given time, it'll continue to grow, develop branches and leaves and fruit. You know it's not in reverse order. You don't have the fruit before the plant grows maturity and there's so much sin in our lives fruits of bitterness that come forth when we allow bitterness to start when we allow it to take root in our heart that root of bitterness it's it's defined as a bitter root literally acridity don't know if I pronounced that right but that's this bitter poison, something that, that, that's unpleasant, stings our eyes. And that bitter root brings forth bitter fruit. I have a tree, I have a tree root in my yard, <clears throat> not in a very good place. It's come up right next to the fence. And you know, when that started coming up, I just let it grow. And the reason I did that is because just across the fence... My neighbors had some old fruit trees. So I can't remember, plum, peach, can't remember exactly what it was. But my hope was, was that was one of those fruit trees. So I just, I just let it go. I was just, well, let's play this thing out and see if that's going to be a, a tree that, that's going to be desirable in my yard. So I let, it, I let it go for a couple of seasons just to see. Well, I finally figured out that it was not. It was not a tree that I desired. And I chose just to let it get established and now I've been dealing with that 
But you know, the way that I've dealt with it, I've only dealt with what's above the surface. You know, I don't really think about it in the winter when it, when it dies back from the cold. And I keep thinking, well, maybe it's dead. Maybe it's done now. But then it starts coming up in the spring, so I'll start mowing the yard, and I'll mow it. Or if I can't mow around it, well, I'll get out my, my trimmer, and I'll uh, cut, the, cut the branches off that's coming out from it and hope to deal with it. There's been a times that I've sprayed a little poison on it and some things like that, but I really haven't dealt with it because it's hard. I could get a shovel, and I could go to digging, and I could get down to the roots, and I could get rid of it. But I just haven't gone to the trouble and to that much effort to do that yet. If I could remember, I could buy some kind of um, root killer that would kill the roots and get rid of it, but I can't seem to think to do that and go to the trouble to do that. So what I have is this root that just stays there, and it's been there, and it continues to cause me problems. You know, that's what this root of bitterness will do for us. And every spring, when the conditions are right, this tree starts sprouting its branches again. And if we have the root of bitterness in our heart, when the conditions are right, the fruit of bitterness is surely going to show up in our lives. If it's not dealt with, it gives the devil a place. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 21, It says, If so be that ye have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as in the truth in Jesus Christ, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, put in away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry, and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Bitterness, a bitter root, will give place to the devil. We as Christians need to be different. We need to be different from the world. We need to be different from what we're seeing on the news, from what we're seeing in other people that are unhappy and bitter against other people. And we need to not let those things take place in our lives. Bitterness can short-circuit our conscience. You know, when you think about alcohol and drugs, what does it do? When people get high, when people get drunk, their inhibitions are gone. They'll behave in ways that they wouldn't typically do because that drug, that alcohol, will allow them to do that. Just bypass the conscience. Bitterness can do the same thing. Our conscience limits how we express ourselves, and it should. If we have a conscience that's been taught properly by God, by God's Word, by loving parents, we develop this conscience that keeps us from doing maybe what maybe a first what a first impulse is. Because we check ourselves. We need to override the guilt function when we behave in a way that's bad. Our conscience makes us feel guilt. 
but I can be blinded by anger and the bitterness that I'm feeling that allows me to treat other people in a way that I know is not right. I know I shouldn't say mean and hateful things to people. I know that I should never hit anybody in anger. My conscience doesn't allow me to do that. But yet bitterness can allow us to do it. It can stir up those negative emotions. It can cause us to trick the conscience. will allow us to do it. Bitterness can spring up and cause us trouble, preventing us from seeking peace with all men. You know, bitterness, I looked at a couple of things and thought about a couple of things that, that causes bitterness. One is sometimes we're just plain jealous of what we see in other people. We're envious of other people and what they have going on in their lives, the things that are good, think that they have some advantage over us. And it just causes us to be bitter towards them. Another thing is sometimes people offend us. Some people sin against us, and we're bitter against that. James, the third chapter, beginning in verse 13, says, Who is a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. That sounds like it's coming from a scary place, if that's in our lives. If we have this bitter envying and strife, that should scare us. Because it's, it's earthly wisdom. It's sensual. It's devilish. Prevents us from living like we should, like a wise man should, with good conversation and meekness. Verse 16, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Confu confusion means instability, disorder, disturbance, discord, argument, strife. It's the absence of peace. That's what comes from envying and strife. Verse 17, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Christians and strife, Christians and bitterness, they should not be together. Bitterness should not be a part of our life. Bitterness should not be in our hearts. There should be no root of bitterness in the life of a person that's following Christ. We should be sowers of peace. The words we speak, our actions, our effect on other people should bring about peace. But roots of bitterness bring about the works of the flesh. Roots of peace bring about the fruits of the Spirit. We're going to be looking at some of the fruits of bitterness this morning. Bitterness is the root. We must kill the root or the fruit will continue to come forth when the conditions are right. We can temporarily get rid of the fruit, but if the fruit is still there, then the fruit will bear its ugly head when the time comes. When we're in a weakened condition, I think most of us here, 
when we have no intentions about treating people badly, but sometimes the conditions are right and it's there. In the relationships that we have, we can't have healthy, loving relationships when we have bitterness in our heart. You know, sometimes we treat the people that we're closest to, the people in our family, our spouses, sometimes we, we treat them worse than we would any common person on the, on the street. And this should not be. Our marriages is something we have to work at to not ever allow bitterness to enter into that relationship. Our relationships at work is something we have to work at to prevent them from being uh, uncooperative, unbearable conditions that we have to spend so much time in. At school, the relationships we have at school, we have to work at it, not to allow bitterness in there. Friendships. Don't allow it because it will wreck friendships. One commentary that I read defined bitterness as smoldering resentment. Smoldering resentment. Think about a fire that's smoldering. You know, a campfire. Maybe you had the night before and went to sleep and you got up, this, got up the next morning and it's still just kind of smoldering. You know, it can easily be put out with water or you can give it a little wood and that fire will kick back up. You can pour gasoline on it and whew, it'll blow up. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. We want to look for a little while by the fruits of bitterness. <clears throat> Number one is anger. In studying this, anger and wrath, they are very closely associated. Anger seems to be more about the emotion that gets things started. It's an emotion that must be dealt with. It's a God-given emotion, but we can't let it, let it make us sin. See, it's internal. And it can gradually rise and become settled in us, and it can cause sin. Wrath. Described as rage, passion of the moment. It's anger showing itself. No longer constrained, no longer contained. And it comes out as hurtful words and actions. Proverbs 14 and 17 says, He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly, and a man of wicked devices is hated. Anger deals foolishly. Why? Because we've let it take care of our emotions. It'll bypass what we know is right. It'll bypass our conscience that would keep us in check. And it'll allow us to behave foolishly. And in a way that nobody appreciates or likes or wants to be around. And it can do so much damage to our relationships, to our marriages, to our working relationships, to our friendships. Proverbs 16 and verse 32 says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. 
We think of great leaders, great military leaders. Napoleon conquered much of the world. Robert E. Lee, a great general during the Civil War, took cities. General Eisenhower, Allied commander in Europe during World War II. General Schwarzkopf in the 90s, the Desert Storm, took cities. Great military leaders. Who's better? Who's mightier? Someone that's slow to anger. In God's eyes, that's much more to be desired than some great military leader. A mightier person than that is somebody that can control their anger. <clears throat> Proverbs 19 and 11 says, The discretion of man deferreth his anger. And it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Discretion means to use sound judgment. We calm down. We use sound judgment when things are difficult, when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, and we defer the anger. Defer means to yield with courtesy. We just yield. We come up to a yield sign, there's another car coming, we yield to that traffic. We yield to that other car and let it pass. Pass over. Let it go. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 9 says, Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. It's just right there. Right at the surface ready to come out when the conditions are right, when we're in a difficult circumstance, when somebody's hurt us, when somebody's been mean to us, when we're envious of somebody else in their life and we've just had enough, we've had a long day, our patience is short, it's just right there. Proverbs 15 and 18. A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. Wrath carries out anger. When we're easily angered, we cause disputes. We cause hurt feelings. We injure. When we're slow to anger, we calm disputes. We prevent hurt feelings. It takes two to argue. It takes two to quarrel. As Christians, we should not. Proverbs 15 and 1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. It really is up to us. We have a choice when we're faced with an opportunity to be angry and sin. We have a choice. We can have a soft answer and end it. Or we can choose to engage and make things worse, which is what happens. Another fruit of bitterness is clamor. Clamor is a crying, an outcry of strife out of control. It's wrath and action, loud demands or complaints when we don't get our way, when someone's rude to us, when we're not treated right. 
But it should never come from the meek and the loving. It should not come from the people here this morning. Evil speaking encompasses all other speaking that comes from bitterness. Anything said to hurt someone or said about someone that would be hurtful. Too often things are said to hurt someone's reputation. Maybe we're talking to some other people about somebody else in an attempt to try to sway their opinion about them, to get them on our side, just because of envy. James 3, beginning in verse 5, says, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. What a description of the tongue and the damage that it can do. The tongue can cause great destruction when we lose control of it. James 4, beginning in verse 10, says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother, and judgeth his brother, speaketh evil of the law, and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Slander. Talking about someone else in an effort to put them down. In an effort to make them look bad to other people. Just for spite, just for envy, because they've hurt us. For whatever reason we can come up with, there's not a good reason. Those who speak evil of other Christians set themselves up as judges and condemn them. This is forbidden in a dangerous place to put ourselves. A dangerous place to put ourselves. Who do we think we are? There's one lawgiver that's able to judge, and that's God. Luke 6, verse 45 Jesus said, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. If we have that bitter root in us, it's going to show up. It's going to show up from the words that we say. Because what's in our heart comes out of our mouth. We can come here this morning and we can sing songs of praise. We can greet each other and shake hands and give hugs and be kind. How are we going to speak tomorrow? How are we going to speak to someone that's rude to us? How are we going to speak to other people about other people that maybe we're envious of or that have hurt us? Are we going to control it? Or is that bitterness going to come out because that's what's in our heart? Malice. Another fruit of bitterness. 
Malice is ill will, a desire to injure, to hope something negative will happen to somebody, to put them back in their place. First Corinthians 14 and 20 says, Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. In malice, we need to be as innocent as small children. But in understanding, we need to grow up. We need to grow up spiritually. It's a matter of spiritual maturity. And we can't be malicious towards anyone under any circumstances. It just shouldn't come from us. Titus 3, verses 2 and 3 says, To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. We were that. But if, we'd obey, if we've obeyed our Lord in baptism, we've become one of His children, this cannot be a part of our lives. We need to be gentle and show meekness. Not malicious, ever. Cain killed Abel out of malice. Abel didn't deserve it. Abel did what was pleasing to God. Cain was jealous, so he killed him. The Jews stoned Stephen out of malice because of his preaching. The Jews chose to release Barabbas, a terrible criminal, known criminal, because of the malice that they had for Christ. How do we get rid of this? How do we get rid of the root? First of all, we need to rid ourselves of envy, jealousy, discontent, or ill will over others' advantages. That's not the way that we should think. 1 Corinthians 13 and 4 says, Charity suffers long and is kind. Charity envies not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. That's what love does. It suffers long. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not think of itself. Does not think highly of itself. Does not seek recognition and how good I am. And let's put other people down so that I look better. That's not what love does. Galatians, the fifth chapter, verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. If we desire vainglory, if we envy other people's lives, the things that they have, what they have going for them, 
those negative feelings toward people are not fruits of the Spirit. That comes from the flesh. But if we put others before ourselves, we can avoid envy and bitterness. Verse 21 before this, speaking of envy and how it is a work of the flesh, and those that have such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Envy is a thing that we cannot as Christians have. It comes from that root of bitterness. We need to root it out. We also need to forgive those that offend us. In Matthew, the sixth chapter, verse 14, Christ said, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. If we withhold forgiveness, it will be withheld from us. That's something that should be terrifying to us. We're going to be treated as we treat other people. We're going to be judged as we judge other people. We're going to be forgiven as we forgive other people. And if we fail to do that, that's not something we can expect the judgment. In Matthew, the 18th chapter, the disciples asked Jesus a question about forgiveness. And Christ went on to explain to them what the kingdom was like in a parable. He said it was like a certain king which took account of his servants. And there was this one particular servant that owed a great debt, large debt, a debt so great that this man could never pay it. He was going to put him in jail, put him in prison. But the servant begged him, asked him for patience to pay him back. Scripture said that the king had compassion and he forgave him. He didn't even say, okay, I'll let you keep working. Just forgave it. Huge debt. That same servant then left and found a fellow servant that owed him just a small bit. And he refused to let him pay it out, treated him harshly, put him in prison, even though the king had showed him such mercy, such forgiveness. When the king heard about that, verse 32, Then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desired me. Shouldest not thou have also had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you. I want to read that again. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. From your hearts. If we forgive from our hearts, we can prevent this root of bitterness springing up and causing us trouble. This leaves little doubt as to the cost of an unforgiven heart. Jesus said to forgive 
always. Here's the question the disciples had asked. Verse 21, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Isn't that how we, how we treat people sometimes? Maybe once, but... I'm going to remember that. Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Forgiveness should be our spirit. We should have a spirit of forgiveness. Forgiveness is what we do. Forgiveness is us. Forgiveness is Christ living in us. And it comes naturally. As we grow spiritually, forgiveness comes naturally. We're not envious of other people. We are able to forgive when they sin against us because it comes naturally. And we've matured spiritually so that we can do that. In 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, previously speaking of Christians, how we should be a new creature, chapter 5 and verse 18 says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Reconciled means to exchange for equal value. If I go to the store and buy a new shirt, I give the storekeeper money in exchange for that shirt. And we are reconciled. I get a new shirt, he gets the money, everything's even. Christ's suffering in death was in exchange for for our debt of sin, a debt that we had no way to pay. But you know, because we're forgiven, it doesn't mean that we haven't done anything wrong. When we forgive somebody else, it doesn't mean that someone hasn't done something wrong. It means that they did. The difference is we as taught by Christ, will not hold that moral debt against them. We're not going to do it. We're going to forgive as God has forgiven us. Not that it's always an easy thing to do, but it's something as children of God should come naturally to us. Not bitterness, forgiveness. In relationships, in our marriages, in our friendships, in our working relationships, there must be continuous forgiveness. Because the relationships that we have are relationships with imperfect people. We don't think alike. Sometimes we misinterpret. But even when it's not a misinterpretation, not everybody's always going to act the way that we want them to. I believe we've all noticed that in this world. But we never take our own vengeance. And we must have continuous forgiveness and let vengeance be left to God. 
In Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 19 says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. And be not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. God will take care of the judgment. God will, God will take care of any vengeance that needs to be had. That is not our job. We take that upon ourselves. We're trying to take the place of God. And that's a dangerous place to set ourselves up as. Colossians, the third chapter, verse 12. says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Quarrels are going to come, aren't they? Difficulties are going to come, aren't they? We're going to have some, some bumpy roads sometimes in our relationships. But if we love, if we show mercy, kindness, if we're humble, if we're meek and patient, if we forbear, forbear means we put up with. I am to forgive, then take the next step. If I can forgive, I can take that next step. That's treat that person with love. Love that they don't deserve. Based on their behavior, they don't deserve it. But we show them love anyway. Because God did that for us. Because Christ did that for us. Relationships are then saved. Relationships are restored. How do I forgive someone that doesn't ask for it? You know, if someone owes you $10, they're morally obligated to pay you back. But you can choose to forgive that debt. And when you do that, that person owes you nothing. You've canceled that out. You've reconciled it. You don't owe me anything. You don't have to pay me back. You choose to bear the debt yourself. You may have lost the $10, but you're not charging it against them. You're not holding it against them. They don't owe you any longer because you've forgiven that debt. Same thing when someone offends us. <clears throat> you know, a husband may speak harshly to his wife while driving and snaps at her. He's broken the law of love. Should the wife snap back? No. She'll be guilty of the same thing. She can choose to forgive. She can choose to forbear. She can choose to just put up with it, to let it pass. She can choose to forgive. She can choose to bear the debt herself. And her heart is still free to show love towards his hus her husband. Even though based on his actions right there, he doesn't deserve it. But she can forgive. And by doing that, that frees her up to continue to show him love. Hopefully God works on his heart. Hopefully his conscience does, the, does his job. And he realizes what he's done. He realizes that he snapped and hurt his wife. 
He apologizes. Asks that forgiveness from God and her. And pays that back with kindness and love. But even if he doesn't, the wife can still choose to forgive. And we all can choose forgiveness. Either way, there's forgiveness and peace. As a Christian grows spiritually, he should naturally forgive those around him all the time. The Christian should remember how much he owes Christ. The Christian should remember how much he has been forgiven. And never allow that root of bitterness to take up. Hebrews 12, 14, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Ephesians 4 and 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking but be put away from you with all malice. And the remedy, be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. When we're kind, we treat others the way that we want to be treated. When we're tender-hearted, we don't say or do anything that's going to be harmful to someone else. Or talk about someone that would be hurtful. If we forgive, we don't allow bitterness to become. The lesson is yours this morning. If you have some need in your life, don't leave here without taking care of that need. If you've never obeyed the gospel, we would invite you to do that this morning. If you've been properly taught, do that. Obey Christ in baptism and leave here as a child of God. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you've let this root of bitterness take up space in your heart where it shouldn't be. Maybe that's something you need to deal with that and you'd like the help of the church. Maybe you'd like the prayers. If there are those, we'd ask you to come forward as we stand and sing.